Can I rant for a sec? Please. Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? <laughs> Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. Escape to summer with Victoria's Secret's just-arrived collection of swim and other sun-ready silhouettes. Pack your bags with new styles from the Very Sexy collection, like the made-to-be-seen Very Sexy push-up bra, in on-trend hues like green and citron and black shine. Rewind to the future with the VS Archives Swim Collection, inspired by Victoria's Secret's classic looks from the 90s and early 2000s. Plus, mix and match with their wide range of bikini tops and bottoms to find your dream suit. Shop now at your closest Victoria's Secret store or online at victoriasecret.com. Summon your anticipation for an all-new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. This season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix, May 16th. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes drop starting May 2nd. Welcome to Criminalia, a production of Shondaland Audio in partnership with iHeartRadio. Hello and welcome to Criminalia, where we explore the lives and motivations of some of the most notorious criminals in history. In this special episode, we're returning to our season one roots to talk about Lady Poisoners with author and illustrator Lisa Perrin. I am Maria Tremarki. And I'm Holly Fry. Welcome, Lisa. It is so delightful to have you here. Thank you. I'm tickled to be here. So for our listeners, Lisa is, as Maria said, the author and illustrator of The League of Lady Poisoners, illustrated true stories of dangerous women. And she is with us today to talk about the stories of women who deliberately poisoned everyone from strangers to family members. Okay, so right out of the gate, Lisa... It's not just us. There are a lot of other people who love this topic. So why do you think we're all so obsessed specifically with women poisoners? Yes, I love that question. I'm so glad to be amongst my people here. (laughs) (laughs) I was actually really surprised when I thought of this idea that there wasn't more about women poisoners as a genre or as a concept. There's certainly a lot of true crime books, and there's even increasingly more books and stories about women criminals. But I had always heard, and I imagine you have too, this old adage that uh, poison is a woman's weapon and that there is this cultural connection between women in this particular vehicle uh, for murder. But I was surprised that there weren't more podcasts and books and movies on this subject. As to why, I think there's a lot of reasons. I think it's a bigger interest in true crime and in history. And I love the kind of historical true crimes and how weird they can be. I have a few theories on what keeps people coming back to true crime tales. And I think a few of them are just that they're great examples of storytelling. I think we have heroes and villains and we have dramatic action and a climax. And then hopefully sometimes we get resolution and justice. So I think just they're compelling for that reason. I've noticed specifically that women are interested in true crime. I think that's a fair thing to assert, again, with everyone in the room. It's a safe way to engage with the thing we're the most afraid of listening to podcasts about it and reading books about it. 
It's like we can finally let ourselves think about that most scary thing with enough distance that it's not happening to us or someone we know personally. Then I think finally, we feel like we're doing research on some level, like we're going to protect ourselves because we know what happened to them and we're not going to do that thing. So that was like why I think we're all maybe on the true crime bus. But as for poison specifically, there is this long historical connotation that women were the ones who were making tinctures and solve like these wise women and witches and had access to different materials or ingredients that could cause harm. And because they had access, and in theory that women are more duplicitous or more likely to harm by more secretive means, that there is this connection. The whole impetus for the book, what for me was, is this true? <laughs> and if it's, is it, you know, and if not, why has it endured? When Holly and I worked on the first season, we sympathized with a lot of the women that we covered. And it was surprising. Did it surprise you in that way too? Did you become more or less distasteful or tasteful towards your subjects as you were researching and writing about them? Most of my response I've gotten to the book so far has been generally like really positive. The only critical comments I've gotten, and I think you might appreciate this, is that I have read in a few places that they find my take on this a little too sympathetic to the murderers. <laughs> which I think is valid and I think is interesting. I understand 100%. But I think you too will understand more than anyone else that these stories are not straightforward. There's so much more nuance and usually there's so much more context. And when she, once you have more of that story and that background and you understand more of the motivation, which of course is hard to completely know or understand and to get into someone else's mind. But when you have more of that story fleshed out, you see their situation differently and you understand that most often these were acts of desperation. This was like a last ditch resort. The themes that I kept coming up against were women who were using poison as a way to escape abuse or a situation that they had no agency in. And I, I think Many modern women today would have a lot of sympathy for that because we do have so much more, not in all places, certainly, but ideally, hopefully, some more control over our lives and our futures and our own money and finances. Um, and this was something that interested me because it wasn't just in one place. This is a global study throughout the world. And so many of these same themes kept coming up. This is not in all cases, too. There are definitely <laughs> women in this book where you're like, that is right. a monster. Absolutely. It is not across the board. <laughs> yes. Like, oh, you cannot sympathize for this woman. She is killing just unabashedly with no fear or sadness right. or, or guilt. You think of that quote where people say there are no female serial killers and you're in the middle of this kind of research and you're like, oh. I think there might be. Like, <laughs> I beg to differ. <laughs> you met me. I uh, got names <laughs> I can share. <laughs> you mentioned motivation and I want to talk about that a little bit because that's how you organize the book, which is fascinating. Your poisoners in each chapter are grouped by the motivation, whether that's that it was their profession or greed or love, etc. What led you to that structure versus doing something like in chronological timeline or geographical? Like, why was that the way you wanted to do it? To be honest, at first, my plan was chronological. And I'm lucky to have a really thoughtful editor for the book at Chronicle Books. And she was like, you could do that. That would be fine. <laughs> she just left up, up to me and she gave me the question, is there a more interesting way to organize these chapters? And I thought, I didn't even think about that. There were a couple of options like geographical. But I think when I thought about motive, I was like, that's so much more interesting to me because it brings together women from 
throughout the world and history in the same chapter. And you see how much in common these women that you think would have absolutely, you know, no overlap. For me, it made those connections richer and more interesting. And I loved getting to see the parallels of two stories that have never been compared or related to each other, now juxtaposed with like being in the same exact world. And again, people from different classes, like queens and people from really a lot of poverty in their socioeconomic backgrounds, it ended up becoming more of a sociological examination than I think I realized or prepared, was prepared for. But it was more, it was interesting. I actually think that a lot of what you're talking about is also some of the reason why I still find our first season to be one of my favorites. It's so layered and thick and so many stories that you're never going to get the entire story, but how much can you get? And it was just really a very interesting season, not just to talk about the stories, but to find them and put them together as well. Did you find that when you were doing your research that sometimes you had to piece together a lot of the history that was happening in that moment because you didn't have enough of that one woman's actual life story because they didn't really yes. have them written down and it didn't get passed along? Absolutely. Yeah, it's tricky, but I think you did it. I think you did it so well. How did you find a balance between how you portrayed the dark side of these lady poisoners and their actions while maintaining res a respect for them as well, or at least a respectful tone? That was really hard. I knew that I didn't want to write a textbook. I don't feel qualified to write a textbook. I actually wanted to write something that would be in a more conversational tone. Actually, I think I was really inspired by all the true crime podcasts I personally <laughs> listened to, including your own. Which, which is more conversational. I find it's just so much easier to understand and engage with the stories. I have a dark sense of humor. I'm a silly person. So I wanted to bring part of myself to it. But I knew that there would have to be a balance, that there would be times where it would be appropriate for a little snarky aside and times when it wasn't. And there are certainly lines that we removed because that's a little too dark. And that's fair. So trying to strike that balance, it, that took many revisions. But I wanted it to be engaging to read and fun to read too. And I think one of the, the things that helps with that is I only chose historical stories. When I was doing my research and when I came across modern stories or anything that's happening now in the contemporary world, it was not fun. It was like you could not make jokes about it. it this, the history gave it a distance that allowed me to make little cheeky comments, but something that just happened, I didn't feel it was appropriate to make that kind of commentary. So I felt... Making it all historical gave me a little permission to be cheekier with it. That was part of the, the decision-making that went into We that. understand that concept intimately. Absolutely. <laughs> Can I rant for a sec? Please. Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? <laughs> Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Simply Safe. Listen, you listen to true crime podcasts. You know that the world can be dangerous and unpredictable and that there will unfortunately be people who want to hurt each other. And so it's kind of nice to get a little peace of mind by having a good home security system. Just take a few precautions. And I recommend looking at Simply Safe Home Security. I've had my home broken into in the past and it was a terrible feeling, even though nothing that bad really happened. 
Aside from an intruder, I just really like knowing that I have a security setup that lets me check in on my pets when I'm not home. That is a huge peace of mind giver when I am out traveling. Simply Safe sent me a whole home security system, and I was really, really impressed by the variety of indoor and outdoor cameras they offer. And the whole thing is backed by 24-7 professional monitoring for less than a dollar a day. Get 20% off any new Simply Safe system when you sign up for Fast Protect Monitoring. Just visit simplysafe.com slash criminalia. That's simplysafe, S-I-M-P-L-I-S-A-F-E dot com slash criminalia. There's no safe like Simply Safe. Hey, everybody, it's Holly. Listen, I've been doing stuff on stage since I was a kid, which means that I have been doing my makeup since I was a kid. And I can turn out a look when I need to, but on my day-to-day, I really like to keep it a little more relaxed and low-key. I don't have time for a full face most of the time. But that also means that Thrive Cosmetics can have me covered no matter what I'm doing, whether I'm doing something on stage, like I have an appearance or a live show, or I'm just running to the grocery store. Something in their line is perfect. And what I really love and what's important to me is that they are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free. And to me, cruelty-free is very important in the cosmetics I use. I mentioned that I've been doing my makeup for a long time. I've gotten older (laughs) in that time. And one of the things that I've done to refresh my look is switch over to their brilliant eye brighteners and use something like a rose gold shade to really like go all around my eye and then just blend it out and get a daytime smoky look. It makes me look a little more youthful and more refreshed. And it's just easy as pie. And it means that I don't have to mess with a whole ton of products. Refresh your everyday look with Thrive Cosmetics, luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 10% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com slash criminalia. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S dot com slash criminalia for 10% off your first order. As we mentioned at the top of this chat, you didn't just write this book. You also illustrated it and beautifully so. And that brings up a raft of questions. Was that always your plan? Were you like, I can write and I also can sure make art. So let's do that together. Or did this come up a little more organically? The way I sort of describe this project to people is that this was an art project for me that got out of control. (laughs) Like that sort of, that was, (laughs) I don't think I set out to write a book. When this started, I saw it as an illustration series. I'm an illustrator myself. That's my profession. I am but a humble picture maker. That is most of what I do. I mostly do freelance illustrations for other authors' book covers. So this was my first time kind of having control over the whole process. It wasn't just the cover. And I'm a professor of illustration. So my like, perspective is definitely that from the visual art. That being said, when I was young and in college, my, I double majored in painting at the time in English. And I always liked words and pictures and putting them together, but I professionally had only gone the illustration route. But I think it has always been my dream to be an author illustrator, but I got really put off because I thought I don't want to write a children's book. And that's the only way to be an author illustrator. And I was like, I don't think my interest is in creating content for kids. Maybe an older kid, maybe a teenager, (laughs) but maybe not the wee ones who are so impressionable. (laughs) Here's the bottle of arsenic, kiddo. This is what they look like. A is for arsenic. That's right. (laughs) A little plush poison toy to play with while we read our bedtime story. And I've been dressing up like a Victorian widow to read. (laughs) That'd be amazing. But yeah, but like I said, I think it was always my secret dream to write and illustrate together. 
when I proposed the book, I originally thought I would work with an author. I would illustrate it and we would find someone who had more experience with writing to write it. And I spoke with some of my colleagues and they said, you have a background in English. You like to write. This might be the chance to try it. I think the book has so much more of my voice because I'm doing both ends of it with the pictures and the words. And I got to live a dream, I think, with this for sure. Now that you've done the book and you've done both the illustration and the writing, if you came up as an illustrator, the presumption would be that that was the more enjoyable part of it. But I'm wondering if the writing proved to be a surprise dark horse that emerged as your favorite part. Yeah, I love a good dark horse. I enjoyed illustrating it a lot, for sure. And I think that came to me more easily. But I actually was surprised by how much I enjoyed the research and the writing. It was hard. Yeah. I want to like caveat with that. But it was it was so challenging. Absolutely. But these stories, uncovering these stories is so challenging yet so cool. I understand what you're saying. Like you come up with stuff and you're like, wow, I wonder if I can get a second source on that. Like, <laughs> Right. I, but I need a credible exactly. source. I found so much good stuff that didn't make it into the book because the source was not credible. I could not validate that statement. Absolutely. I knew I wanted to include all the resources in the back. And I was like, I cannot list the thing that I was ashamed of. <laughs> right. It's got to be legit. I also felt a lot of uh, duty that I was like the steward of, I don't know if you felt like that. Of, I do. Of some of these stories who do not always get told or don't always get heard, especially some of the less known ones. And I felt a lot of obligation to like do right by them. Again, maybe that's too much sympathy for the murderers again, but I did feel like I wanted to do it as well as I could to represent their story for a, an audience who'd maybe never heard before. If you could think of one woman that you wrote about who could be tried today, do you have someone who you think that would have a better chance of being acquitted or somehow rehabbing their image? You know, Holly and I always talk about how surprised we were when we did Lucretia Borgia and we were like, wow, her, her image out there is so completely different than who she actually was as a person. That I wonder if you came across someone like that too. Oh, yes. And I think I, Lucretia Borgia was also one of the first ones I thought of when you started mentioning yeah. it. Just talk about just a reputation oh, a mishap that just is completely, we have no evidence to back up that she was this scandalous femme fatale poisoner, but that has endured through centuries. Right. She's got the wrong family name is what she's got. <laughs> I read like a 600 page biography on Lucretia Borgia. And I was like, give me a little right. poison. Give me a little, I need this. I'm like, <laughs> fingers crossed. I, because when I was researching the book, I was like, who are the most famous women poisoners? Who are the names that have come to mind first? And I asked folks on social media, and I can't tell you how many people responded, Lucretia Borgia and Catherine de' Medici. When I was researching this book, I think the biggest letdown for me was finding that both of them, there was no proof or evidence that they had ever poisoned anyone. Although Catherine de' Medici was certainly involved in other yeah. problematic and violent yes. things. The poison-specific rumor which again, I think is often tied to women, true or not true, I think is something like to make a woman seem evil in history, maybe to call her a poisoner yeah. is something I have found to tarnish their reputation. Yeah, Lucretia Borgia definitely comes to mind. It seems like the whole Borgia family, when I was doing more research, they were saying was not different from other powerful families or influential families of the time. It's just one of the more famous ones, but not that their behavior was so outlandish in comparison to what other similar families with similar statuses were doing. And Lucretia Borgia had a tough life. Like her father controlled so much of everything she did. And she passed away quite young in childbirth and was put in a position of leadership in 
her life. And I don't think people knew that story. But the one that came to mind and when you asked that question, and actually the one that the story that helped me find your podcast was when I was researching Sally Bassett. And so I was researching, and that's when I found your first season of Women Poisoners. And I was like, they talked about her. No <laughs> one's talked about she her. She was a hard one to research. Yeah. She, there's not a lot. Yeah. A lot of the women who come up in the historical record for poisonings, I, I think we found were, you know, socioeconomical levels different, but white women. Yeah. And I found the same thing. The women who had long newspaper articles about them and whole books devoted to them were almost exclusively white and of the Western world. Yes. And I knew I didn't just want it personally as an illustrator. I didn't want to draw 30 white women. I just <laughs> thought that wasn't interesting to me. I knew I wanted the book to be more diverse than that because I felt the themes being explored here are more universal than that. But it was much more challenging to find the stories of women of color who were involved in poison and women outside of the Western world. So Sally was such a powerful story. And I think she's one that talk about empathy. I think like when I talk to people who've read the book since they say she is a favorite character and one that people see as more as a hero and not as a murderess or a villain. So she stands out, I think, in the canon from the other lady poisoners. You've named her as a bit of a favorite, but I'm curious. And also this will give our listeners a glimpse into some of the stories that you have done, in addition to those we've talked about before, I was going to ask which one of your subjects is your favorite, but I think it's probably kinder to say what's your top three or top five. Right. Oh, my gosh. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> that is so much kinder. It is. I, people always ask the favorite, and then I always waffle, and I go, there's a couple. Right. Yes, that's such a good question. And I think I have favorites for different reasons. Sometimes they're a favorite because like Sally Bassett, I think she was more of a freedom fighter in, in a society that completely oppressed her and used poison as this agent of defiance. But then you get the other ones that are just so silly or so weird. I think one that I came across that I didn't know until actually on my Instagram, a follower from Argentina said, oh my gosh, do you know about this? We have a famous woman poisoner in our history named Yiga Murano. And she became this big TV personality afterwards, and they made a musical about her. And I was like, <laughs> that is gold. Thank you so much right? for that. Like, I have to yes. cover this story because there's so much here. I have to. You couldn't dream that <laughs> up. The way I now want to write Arsenic the Musical, even though musical theater is not my jam, but... No, it is my it's jam. Mine too, and <laughs> my dream, and I have not been shy about this, is Poison the Musical. I don't know what it looks like. I know we have lost my beloved Stephen Sondheim. I don't know who else could do it, but I can picture it. I think we could do this together. I feel strongly about collaborating. <laughs> yes. I think the stories are so fascinating. Oh, and speaking about someone whose reputation, like Cleopatra, who had this famous legend of dying via the poisonous or venomous bite. Nowadays, scientists conclude it was probably that she drank a cocktail of poison. It would have been much more uh, effective. But less dramatic. <laughs> Beautiful and artistic and creative. I don't know if they would make so many paintings or plays about right. the death of Cleopatra just drinking out of a cup. It's just not. And I know as an artist, the, the snake imagery is, it's hard to let go. That goblet has to be beautiful to compete with a snake. <laughs> yes, I agree. And I tried to make it, like in my illustration, I tried to make it a decorative goblet, but I gave her like the snake in one hand and the goblet in the other to show the, the duality. This is just a small segment of all yeah. the women I, I found. <laughs> oh, yeah. so everyone who made it into the book 
was because I felt they had some really fascinating quality or some part of their story that I felt needed to be told. So they're all my favorites <laughs> for different reasons. Escape to summer with Victoria's Secret. Pack your bags with just-arrived swim, cover-ups, corset tops, and other sexy silhouettes. When the sun goes down, opt for bold and blingy styles, like the made-to-be-seen Very Sexy Push-Up Bra from the Very Sexy Collection, in on-trend hues like Black Shine, Green, and Citron. For a glam statement, pair them with your favorite jeans and bring the heat. Because life is better in a bikini. Rewind to the future with the VS Archive Swim Collection inspired by Victoria's Secret's classic looks from the 90s and early 2000s. For endless out-of-office options, mix and match with Victoria's Secret's wide range of bikini tops and bottoms that offer you every type of coverage, from full to cheeky to minimal. And now, in this season's must-have shades and patterns, add the finishing touch with the limited-edition Bombshell Escape fragrance, a free-spirited take on the iconic Victoria's Secret scent. Dive into a vibrant blend of juicy guava, lush palms, and summer glow peony. Shop now at your closest Victoria's Secret store or online at victoriasecret.com. Summon your anticipation for an all-new season of our favorite Netflix series, Bridgerton. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins, and this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad, is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor, and meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. And I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix, May 16th. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes drop starting May 2nd. How do you decide how you're going to visually represent the Lady Poisoners and her story separate from the actual writing of the story? The format early on that I used was sort of this portrait that was in a border and woven into the border was images or icons from her story. And I had her name sort of hand lettered above her. And then I left room on the bottom for a brief summary or synopsis of the story. So I think it's a book where you could even just flip through it. And if you were in the mood, you could reread the whole chapter segment, or you could just read the little synopsis. I do think it's very strong on both, uh, imbalanced on both ways, which is why I was curious. It's not always color. Thank you. I knew I wanted it to be richly illustrated because I believe in picture books for adults, I think is like another thing that underlies this. I don't know why we decided everything with illustrations and it has to be for children. Not that I don't love and adore children's picture books. I just think we're such visual creatures and that doesn't go away. So I also think we like to look at images of these people. I think we get really curious about what they look like. Um, so I started with a few illustrations, and then I pitched the book, and then I had to stop illustrating, and they wanted chapters. <laughs> and then I went, oh. Uh, so I had to pause in the illustrating, and then I did a lot of the research and writing. But while I was researching and writing, I would take notes of physical descriptions or collect reference images. Some of the women are in the era where there were photographs or painted portraits of them, and whenever I found that, that was great. 
Some of them were not. Some of them were from antiquity or from a place in time when they did not have any representational image of them. Sometimes I would try to find written descriptions. And I definitely sketched while I was still researching, knowing that I would come back and need these later. In, a, in my dream world, I would have loved to have researched that one woman, written about her, and then illustrated her in the same chunk while I was in that brain space of like just thinking about her. That's not how publishing works. Unfortunately for me, they needed the text much sooner than they needed the images. The images were something that could get dropped in last. The text had to go through many rounds of revisions and edits. So I had to prioritize that. And then once the bulk of the writing was in, I could return to the pictures. And that was just more fun for me because I could just kind of be like, oh, right, I remember her. Oh, she's the one who poisoned him with the enema. Oh, of course. Can I hide it? <laughs> As you do. That's also a funny one. Good gravy. Uh, <laughs> this seems like it was such a, I know it was arduous work because it just is, but it also seems like it was such a joyous journey for you in some ways that I'm wondering if you have any thoughts or designs on potentially doing other historical figures or true crime history stories that are of interest to you, whether those involve more lady poisoners or something entirely different. What's, what do you have in mind? Or what's the dream? I don't know yet. Yeah. Historical bananas and the people yeah. <laughs> caused to slip. I See? Histor but historical goofy comedy, historical. <laughs> Can I tell you the book I want you to illustrate and write? Please. 50 Amazing Vaudevillians. Stop. I love vaudeville. Me too. And I'm such a, a vaudevillian character in life. I can't I wait for it. Um, <laughs> Coming out 2026. <laughs> I was going to say, what, 26, 27? What have we got? 27. Give me a little more time. You can finish up this one. <laughs> but yeah, I love, honestly, I have loved the history angle. I've loved the true crime angle. I'm open-minded if your followers have ideas, something that they haven't seen that they want to see, and specifically that they'd like to see illustrated. I'm so curious what the response to this book is going to be. At the time that we're recording this, it's not out in the world yet. I'm still in pre-order time. So I'm really excited to see how people are going to respond to it. And if there becomes a sort of natural next step, like maybe it'll be like, oh, now you got to do blah, blah. And I'll say, thank you for solving that. <laughs> but right now, I'm open-minded. Like I, I would love to do another book that's maybe related or adjacent in some way, but a totally different topic. I'm going to send you my wish list, just FYI. I love the vaudeville. Are there vaudevillians who've committed crimes? Like, sure. Oh, oh, yeah. Sure. <laughs> Maybe not 50 of them, but I'm sure we could come up with a good list. Yeah. <laughs> 10 vaudeville. It's not enough. I feel like you could pick one good one, right? Because they all interconnect yeah. in ways. Oh, I have ideas for you. But we'll I'll move on and not just make this a list of things I would like you to illustrate for me personally. I think we have time for probably one more. So there is one thing that would come up when we were doing our season, which was the story of the woman. It was the story of the poison. We found it was more arsenic than anything else. You know, we just kept seeing some of these trends and trends. But one of the things that we really started focusing on more was how the legal system was at the time and the in the time period of the woman who we were telling the story of. And whether or not it was or was not similar between female and male poisoners and how was it different if it was. Did you run into that too? 
a few things I didn't expect were going to be play such large roles in all of these stories was the role of the media. Oh, yes. And the role of the mm-hmm. legal system in all of them. And both had huge implications on what happened to this woman and what happened to her case and the way it was perceived by the people of her time and perceived by people for many years after. Right now in the record, this is how she is. And I, I was surprised yes. by the role of the Sometimes the hysterical role of the media in how they covered these stories and the particular woman and her, the size of her skirt. And I always <laughs> love the ones where they're like, she's ugly. She must have done it. Those are always yeah, like... She, right, yeah, she has bad hair. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Are you, think, is that, are you thinking of Tilly Klimek? Yes. yes. Yes, Tilly in particular. Oh my gosh. Yeah, there was a quote about her in the newspaper from the time, if only she had gone to the beauty parlor, she might not have gone to the penitentiary. I, I think we read the same quote. Yeah. 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 Right? Right? yeah. Similar to our reaction. Jim, excuse. I was so ready to be very <laughs> angry about the whole thing. Yes. And we right. would, but we didn't necessarily fixate on it because you got to just tell the story. There's so much. Yeah. Yeah. There's so much to those stories, but yeah, their appearance and the way they acted in court, what they wore. Mm-hmm. Did did they cry enough? Did they seem feminine enough? That was a big one. Yeah, the crying, right? I mean, that still exists, right? And that's the other thing. We think this is specific to these time periods. And a lot of it is still talking about the media and the perception and to be a woman and to be a criminal and how we see these two things linked together. And often it's that if she's a woman criminal, she can't just be a regular woman. She's got to be crazy or she's got to be a monster or masculine in some way, which I found so strange. And that it can't just be, yes, women also commit crimes because women are also human beings. Yeah, I think of Belle Gunnis, who was a monster, but people always really focused on her appearance. She was very tall and heavy. And it's like, that's not part of the issue at all. (laughs) Nothing to do with any of it. Yeah, yeah. Yes, she was a monster, but we don't like because of her actions, not because of her appearance. Lisa, you are an absolute delight. I feel like we can start our, I want to start designing shirts for our Lady Poisoners Club. I know. We're a kindred little herd. For ourselves. We'll talk about (laughs) poisons and poisoners and poisonings and arsenic. We can get a little strychnine involved, but arsenic is the star anytime. It really was the star for us, yes. I want to make sure that we give you a chance to tell us when and where people can get your book and where they can find you on social media if you so desire. Wonderful. Thank you. And please, can we start like the League of Lady Poisoners? A yes, little club. <laughs> you think I'm saying idle words, but I am not. <laughs> we are in. But like, of course, <laughs> just enthusiasts. We're not encouraging any actual uh, poisonings. I don't have to be yes. careful of it. We're just looking into the phenomenon. <laughs> yes, the phenomenon. People who are interested in the stories. But yes, thank you so much. The book will be out in the world this September 19th, 2023, wherever books are sold. I would love to encourage folks to support their local independent bookstores. And uh, not to forget that libraries are also going to ha- be an option as another way to access the book. And please do find me on social media, especially if you take pictures of the book, dress up like a lady poisoner for Halloween. I'll lose my mind. Please find me. I'm at, I use my last name mostly online, which is Perrin, P-E-R-I-N. So it's made by Perrin is the handle that you'll find me on everything for. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing how folks interact with it and engage with it once it's us out Us too. Thank you again for spending this time with us. Oh, this was a pleasure. Thank you. This is a beautiful book inside and out. The the illustrations are lovely. The cover is lovely. I encourage everyone to take a look at it. It is. It's beautiful. 
All right, and for our listeners, we will see you right back here as usual on Tuesday with the regular programming. Criminalia is a production of Shondaland Audio in partnership with iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from Shondaland Audio, please visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Summon your anticipation for an all-new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. This season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix, May 16th. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes drop starting May 2nd.